Hello and welcome to the Rugby Gods podcast. I'm John Keenan. No mai haere mai. Today is January 21st and now let's talk some rugby. Alright, so we're still in a little bit of a Southern Hemisphere slash Eastern Hemisphere rugby doldrum. Uh, unfortunately, Japan uh, didn't get their season underway uh, last weekend. Uh, it's been delayed uh, until sometime in February, I believe. Uh, which I guess, in a way, is kind of good for me because I'm not really all over uh, what's going on in Japanese rugby. Um, so it would have been pretty hard for me to add any value uh, to what's going on in the Japanese top league. But it is certainly something that I want to try and do um, you know, this year. So the good thing there is that uh, it allows me to just keep going with, um, I guess, uh, stuff rugby articles uh, last week or a few weeks back, I'm not sure now actually, I think it's a week or so ago, um, I did uh, a stuff article um, where there was, you know, 10 burning questions for New Zealand rugby uh, in 2021. Uh, today um, I'm looking at another article, uh, this one is written by one of those um, one of those rugby writers who was interviewed for those 10 burning questions, uh, Paul Cully. Uh, and this is a little bit of a explainer. Uh, it's what private equity investment would mean for New Zealand rugby. So basically, you know, Paul Cully uh, has gotten together with uh, another another uh, person uh, involved in private capital or private equity uh, in New Zealand uh, to discuss a few key questions about private equity uh, and how it might apply uh, to New Zealand rugby and or the All Blacks. So yeah, again, uh, pretty pretty good article, I thought, um, or certainly very information heavy, uh, and, a, and a good article to, to base a podcast on, uh, you know, when there's basically no actual rugby going on, uh, which is, you know, the case for me, or the, uh, the tournaments, the competitions that I follow. So yeah, let's get into it, see how we go. Um, so yeah, uh, this is the article, um, What Private Equity Investment Would Mean for New Zealand Rugby? by Paul Cully from uh, January 20th, 2021. So pretty much from yesterday uh, as I'm doing the recording uh, today. Uh, so yeah, I'm just going to read through the uh, brief little uh, preamble introduction, uh, which introduces uh, who he is talking to or who he kind of interviewed. Uh, and then it just kind of goes question by question through uh, private equity uh, and how it will relate to New Zealand rugby or possibly relate. So yeah, I think it uh, will, will be a good article for a lot of people because, uh, you know, we're not all financial wizards. I'm certainly not a financial wizard. Uh, and I'd have to say, you know, private equity investment sort of has a little bit of an alarm bell ring to it. Uh, but perhaps, you know, I think there is certainly some cons uh, to the idea, but there are also pros. And I guess, uh, yeah, I'd have to say um, from having read through this uh, prior to doing the podcast, it's a pretty rosy, um, you know, article. Certainly, you know, it's, it's got a, a New Zealand private capital, private equity man uh, involved uh, in, you know, narrating it or responding. So, you know, he's, he's going to be pretty positive. Uh, apologies, I think that might be a fridge that's uh, pretty close to the table I'm doing this at. So, you know, there might be a few interesting background noises. Uh, I'm in a new place or a new environment uh, for this podcast. So let's get it underway. Uh, you know how I am. I like to ramble. So uh, New Zealand Rugby has been exploring the possibility of private equity investment for at least 12 months. Global giants Silver Lake and CBC are thought to be among those keen to enter a partnership with New Zealand Rugby. 
Uh, I don't exactly know who either of them are, but I'm assuming they're fairly large, you know, like uh, multinational private equity firms. Uh, although senior sources played down a UK report suggesting that a Silver Lake deal could be done imminently. Uh, but what is private equity? How does it work? And what would it mean for New Zealand rugby? Stuff spoke to Colin McKinnon, the executive director of New Zealand Private Capital, to get a clearer understanding of how the industry operates and why New Zealand rugby is open to investment. So yeah, let's keep going. Let's have a look at the questions. First question. How does private equity work? Private equity is something of an umbrella term to cover different types of investment, McKinnon says. For example, it is capital that could be used to buy out an entire company or to pump into a struggling business. That's not the case with New Zealand rugby, McKinnon says, which would be seen as a growth opportunity by investors such as Silver Lake or CBC. In other words, they believe that New Zealand rugby could make more money than it currently does. Yeah, and uh, I think that is touched upon um, more towards the end of the article, uh, and there's definitely, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I think New Zealand rugby does, obviously, it does a lot of its, um, what would you say, it does, it does a lot of its talking on the field as such, uh, but in this day and age, there is so much that could be done off the field, uh, not necessarily by the players even, but just, uh, you know, surrounding the players, just surrounding, like, the legacy, the history, the culture of, you know, New Zealand rugby and the All Blacks. Uh, and I think a private equity firm or a private equity company uh, with some, you know, smart marketing uh, people on board uh, could really extract some, you know, some value, like, away from the field, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I think the article will go into that a little bit more. So I'm just going to keep going. Second question, how would it work? private equity that is. New Zealand Rugby and a private equity firm such as Silver Lake would create an entity to handle commercial assets and private equity would take a share of this, perhaps 10 to 15 percent. At the moment New Zealand Rugby funds itself through a different kind of partner, McKinnon says. They've got some big sponsors and when they get capital from those sponsors they give them something in return. A similar thing happens with a PE company, a private equity company. They invest some capital, and for that capital, they take on a share of the risk in the business. But they, all, but they are also expecting, through their help and expertise, that they'll be able to grow that business. And basically, you know, profit share um, down the line. Next question. Where do the private equity firms get their money from? Institutional investors play a big role. So McKinnon says private equity firms might be backed by pension funds or in the New Zealand context, or in a New Zealand context, ACC. So yeah, um, you've got fairly, you know, like institutional investors, very like, you know, long-term horizons uh, in the scheme of investment. So, you know, probably looking at more like uh, five to ten years minimum in terms of, you know, investing in a brand like, say, the All Blacks or a company or a business like the All Blacks or New Zealand Rugby, uh, you know, but possibly with horizons, you know, that are like 15, 20, 25 years, uh, if you're talking about pension funds. Uh, next question. Where does New Zealand Rugby, oh, sorry, why does New Zealand Rugby even need a partner? Why can't they do this themselves? This is a very good question, I think, uh, certainly for the layman like myself. Uh, they lack the expertise and the connections particularly on the global stage. Uh, South African rugby CEO Jury Roo 
famously said PE investment would essentially show that rugby hadn't been doing its job well enough. And while that description is perhaps too harsh, McKinnon said having a PE partner would make sure New Zealand rugby had a heavy hitter on its team. The thing that private equity brings is not just the capital, it's the capability, McKinnon says. And that's what New Zealand rugby will want around the table. That's why they have been careful around who they are selecting. What they bring to the table is an international capability of doing things with businesses that are growing. If you imagine a sponsorship deal, the sponsors are on one side of the table and New Zealand Rugby sits on the other. In the future, New Zealand Rugby is going to have Silver Lake or whoever on the same side of the table as New Zealand Rugby. That's really important. So yeah, I think that's a really good um, little example there as to like you know what private equity can bring. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it as well, and I was like, well, they're just paying cash to get a you know percentage of New Zealand rugby. You know, it's going to grow pretty naturally, pretty organically. Uh, you know, if and as you know rugby seems to be growing in the world, you know, New Zealand is certainly you know preeminent or you know one of the top teams, top brands, uh, if you will, uh, in the game. So, you know, you would just sort of think, you know, they take a 10, 15% interest, they hold it for 10 years, and then they sell out to someone. Uh, and obviously, that is sort of part of what they're doing, or what they will want to do, um, or expect to do. But I thought that was quite a good um, little, like, example there of, like, when sponsorship comes to be renewed, you know, the expertise of having a private equity, you know, like a big multinational private equity on your side of the negotiation... I really do feel like that will actually be really useful for New Zealand rugby if they're dealing with the likes of Adidas in the future, if they're dealing with the likes of somebody like AIG, who they have had as their you know principal naming uh, rights or jersey naming rights sponsor, and you know no doubt in the next year they're they're going to market to find a new you know like naming rights sponsor for the jersey. Um, so yeah, you know like having a private equity um, you know team in there with you. Um, and not, not an outsourced team, but a team that's got skin in the game, i.e. You know, 10 to 15% stake in your business, I think they're really going to push you know, like, and get you a really good deal because you know, they're getting a good deal for themselves, right? So yeah, I thought that was a pretty good um, response or like a good piece of advice or uh, you know, just a good opinion. So next question, how do private equity companies make their money? Isn't it just a short-term investment, get in, cut costs, and then get out? So yeah, there's definitely a stigma to that for sure, uh, certainly in New Zealand circles or New Zealand business circles. Uh, so not quite. PE firms make their money in two ways, McKinnon says. Yes, they increase the value of their share with the expectation they will sell that share at a later date, but they don't set the rules, and it's against their own interests to run down the value of an asset. Yeah, I'd like to agree with that, but I think, you know, historically, certainly in New Zealand, and I think probably a few other places in the world, um, you know, that reputation, that PE, private equity reputation, it precedes them, and it's for a reason. Um, they have been, you know, pretty bad at running assets down, um, you know, extracting value and then just basically flogging it off. Uh, continuing the uh, PE funds come from institutional investors, people like New Zealand Super and ACC. And those people set the mandate for the fund, McKinnon says. So it's those people that set the rules. They say to Silver Lake, you can have our money to invest, but we want it back in about 10 or 12 years' time. 
So yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, a good point, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, New Zealand Rugby will be taking notice of who the backers are, who are these institutional investors behind the private equity, because you certainly don't want sharks. You do want, you know, like pension funds, maybe you know, like something almost uh, government level, something that's almost publicly accountable, um, you know, just so that you don't have this sort of like raider mentality. Continuing on, so they worked very hard with the company to grow the value of, of the asset uh, in the expectation that somebody else is going to see further value in it and take over that position at some stage. I can certainly imagine them doing that uh, with you know, the All Blacks or New Zealand Rugby slash the All Blacks uh, you know, over a 10-year period. Depending on the structure of the deal with New Zealand Rugby, the private equity firm might also take out dividends on an annual basis. It's also a bit like owning an investment property as a rental property, McKinnon says. This would likely be more contentious in any New Zealand rugby deal, but those details are not yet clear. So yeah, that would be very contentious. Um, you know, good times, they're able to extract profit. Uh, you know, bad times, who knows, right? You know, do you, do you set it basically as, you know, hey, no dividend this year, we haven't done enough. Um, or do they have sort of like, you know, like a, a fixed amount that they can pull out, uh, you know, like based on, you know, their performance. So, yeah, that would be a very contentious part, um, you know, having to basically pay, pay out a private equity uh, partner, a, a multinational one, uh, every year with, you know, New Zealand rugby money. So, uh, next question. Okay, so how could a PE firm take the All Blacks brand and turn it into much-needed money to reinvest in the national game? Pretty good question. It's just one example, but McKinnon mentioned the multi-billion dollar gaming industry. Interestingly, this is an area where unsuccessful world rugby chairman candidate uh, Augustine Pichot, another PE advocate, also mentioned this in his pitch for the top job recently. For example, if the All Blacks brand is attached to a successful rugby game, Anyone remember Jonaloma Rugby? The commercial benefits could be enormous. The All Blacks brand could be a big item in esports and gaming, McKinnon says. There's all sorts of opportunities for that brand. The commercial value for New Zealand Rugby is awesome, but they are not experienced in dealing with gaming companies. Silver Lake has got that experience. How to deliver that opportunity to New Zealand Rugby? Or, and how to deliver that opportunity to New Zealand Rugby? We shouldn't forget that New Zealand rugby is very small, really. I guess, you know, in the scheme of, you know, sporting teams, sporting, you know, companies, franchises, what have you. Um, yeah, that is quite interesting. I would actually like to see what the value of New Zealand rugby is. Um, some figures that I've seen quite um, consistently uh, puts, you know, like, say, New Zealand rugby at a value of, say, $2 billion dollars. Uh, and you know this private equity, like these private equity firms are perhaps in line for taking a fifteen percent stake. Uh, so that would be, you know, roughly um, a, a three hundred million dollar you know capital injection into New Zealand rugby, which I think would be you know very tasty and certainly something that New Zealand rugby would want. Something that New Zealand rugby can probably afford actually you know to kind of like sell down uh, on as well. Uh, but yeah, anyways. Um, I think that's a, a pretty good, um, again, little example there of uh, esports and gaming. You know, gaming being essentially you know internet gaming or you know computer gaming, not uh, betting as such, um, or gambling. Uh, but you know, like esports and gaming. Yeah, um, if you had a private equity firm, again, like I said, with skin in the game, 
really pushing hard, really having knowledgeable uh, you know, people on board uh, with expertise um, to really push, you know, like, uh, say, an All Blacks branded you know, rugby game. You, know, you could really see that be extremely successful, uh, I think, in the market. Uh, that example of Jonah Loma Rugby from you know, about 20 years ago um, you know, definitely uh, makes sense to me. So yeah, um, I think, yeah, kind of, in a way, like, uh, you're kind of like insourcing rather than outsourcing um, the responsibility for growing, for like a, a revenue growth um, model there, which, you know, I kind of like actually the more I think about it. Um, you know, I keep going back to that phrase, but it is very important to have skin in the game. And, you know, when you just appoint, uh, you know, people, you, you essentially, you know, you contract in some expertise and you just say, hey, can you get us a good deal in this area or, you know, this this market or whatever? It's like, you know, they're obviously not going to do a bad deal for you. I mean, they're going to want to look professional and do a good job and maybe retain or, or get your business again in the future. But they just don't really have, uh, you know, uh, money involved in it. It's not their money that they're playing with. Uh, whereas if you bring, you know, a 15% private equity interest into uh, the commercial arm or the commercial side of your business, they really do have money like in your game, in your, you know, in your body, in your organization. And they really will, I think, you know, do the best that they can, not just for you, obviously, but for themselves. So yeah, you know, I, I think there was a couple of uh, good points in there. So uh, two more questions just to finish, they're quite short. Uh, so would a PE investor, private equity investor, get a place on the New Zealand rugby board? Not necessarily. Uh, you've got to recall that the intention is to set up a separate entity, McKinnon says. Private equity firms do sometimes get board representation on other companies, but that's not what is contemplated here. So yeah, again, um, you know, they're, they're very much commercially driven and you don't really need that, I don't think, to be expressed on you know, New Zealand Rugby's board. Uh, final question. How common is private equity in New Zealand? Surprisingly so. Uh, in fact, you have likely brought products from companies backed by private equity, McKinnon says. The sector has funded familiar retail names such as My Food Bag, Rod and Gun, and Guthrie Barron, as well as successful business-to-business -business ventures such as Christchurch-based Sequent, uh, which makes software for the mining, minerals, energy, civil, and environmental industries. Private equity is just business as usual. It's just that it doesn't get talked about that much, McKinnon says. So yeah, well, certainly not in a sporting context or a New Zealand sporting context. Um, you know, private equity, very interesting. But uh, yeah, I do like the idea. Um, I, do, I do think it adds a, an extra dimension uh, to the conversation um, and, and a valuable extra dimension to the conversation. Um, yeah, and, I, and like I said, like I just I think it's very important for the All Blacks um, the way things are kind of structured at the moment, which is you know every four years there is uh, a World Cup. Uh, inside of that World Cup cycle, every four years there's a Lions tour, um, and you know New Zealand rugby's got to look at that and say, well, that's almost two years or two seasons where um, you know New Zealand rugby gets severely affected by external forces that are you know kind of outside of its control. Um, you know, like for example, um, you know, in a Lions year, which should be this year, twenty twenty one, you basically it basically means that in the July, like winter July tests in New Zealand, 
uh, which you know New Zealand rugby would generally hold three uh, against a, an incoming touring team, a top tier one team, you know such as England, Ireland, Wales, uh, France. You know, uh, basically you're actually just reduced to France. Like those three other teams are going to be involved in a Lions tour. Uh, you know, and they're only coming to New Zealand every twelve years. Uh, they're going on them themselves every four years. So that's a bit of a dagger for you know New Zealand rugby and their um, say winter or you know July internationals. Uh, just for example, this year, New Zealand rugby is going to be welcoming uh, Fiji for a test and Italy for two tests. And you know you've got to say like no disrespect to those teams. Um, you know they will be relatively interesting to watch, but it will be mostly just interesting to see. Uh, what kind of combinations New Zealand puts out and just basically how much does New Zealand, you know, put them away by. Uh, hopefully that doesn't sound too arrogant, but, um, you know, they're not really spectacles in and of themselves. Uh, I don't think anybody's realistically thinking Italy slash Fiji are going to turn up with pretty minimal preparation and beat the All Blacks in New Zealand. So, you know, when you have a Lions, you know, season or like a Lions tour every four years, halfway between World Cups, uh, it does actually affect, um, you know, what uh, New Zealand rugby can get in terms of, like, home test matches. Uh, and then, obviously, every World Cup year as well, um, you don't get the July matches uh, at present. So New Zealand rugby loses three tests there. Uh, you have a, um, a shortened uh, three-round rugby championship rather than the, the normal six-round or double round. Uh, you usually get a Blitzer Cup 2, like a second test against Australia. And then you'll probably get some sort of like warm-up test against the Pacific Islands team, uh, i.e. I think last time they played Tonga in uh, 2019 in New Zealand. And I believe in 2015 they might have played Samoa. And in fact, they might have even played that up in Samoa. But, you know, generally speaking, it's, it's essentially a World Cup warm-up game for the All Blacks. Uh, but, you know, that only really leaves you with five tests for the year when you're usually playing ten tests there. Uh, and quite often, you know, you'd be getting at least, uh, what, like three and three. You know, you'd be getting at least six or seven of those tests at home uh, in a season. Uh, and in a World Cup season, you're getting, you know, five tests total, maybe, you know, three at home, something like that. So, you know, it's pretty, you know, that again, it's, uh, it takes a lot, of, uh, the, a lot of finances out of New Zealand rugby's hands uh, because, you know, like ticket revenue from tests is huge. Uh, for New Zealand rugby. So, yeah, you know, like having private equity, having private equity involved in like off the field commercial interests, like was talked about there, like, you know, esports, gaming, etc. Uh, and, you know, no doubt uh, a whole host of, of other, you know, profitable or like potentially you know, commercial, you know, avenues, that's only going to, you know, increase the value or at least. Um, you know, smooth over and manage um, perhaps the, the good years and the bad years, you know, for New Zealand rugby um, and, you know, what sort of test matches it can attract or host. So, yeah, um, kind of like the idea. Um, obviously, need to see a little bit more information, but I would say, you know, if the private equity firm is taking like a 10 to 15% stake um, and they're backed by an institutional investor, essentially like a very, you know, long-term investor, some sort of, like, government-slash-pension provider, uh, you know, that's perhaps got a, you know, 10, 15, 20-year sort of, like, investment horizon, I'd be pretty comfortable with that, um, especially, 
if you know basically there is like sort of a separated entity, commercial entity between the private equity and New Zealand rugby, um, and basically you know there's no board representation, etc. And you know it, it really just seems like it gives uh, New Zealand rugby more expertise in terms of dealing with their updated sponsorship contracts as you know they come up for renewal. Um, just gives them more areas where they've got expertise to like push into you know commercial opportunities off the field. Um, and you know it just smooths over the, over the, the the capital imbalance because I mean you know the All Blacks essentially fund New Zealand rugby. Um, you know Super Rugby and the Super Rugby franchises pretty much pay for themselves, make pretty small profits uh, on a normal year I think, uh, or most of them make small profits in a normal year. Uh, so you know they they're pretty self funding, but certainly when you go down to the minor ten cup level. Uh, and you know the 26 provinces you're looking at funding inside of New Zealand rugby, all of the amateur sport you're, you're funding in New Zealand rugby, um, the women's game that you're funding, uh, the sevens program, etc. A lot, pretty much all of that is is like the age grade representative, um, you know, side of things. Pretty much all of that is essentially unsustainable, or you know, it's not commercially viable. So the All Blacks are really at the top of the triangle, top of the pyramid hierarchy if you will uh, and the money that they make is is pretty substantial even now but it just gets chipped away the, 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 the All Blacks ticket gets clipped by you know four, five, six, seven uh, you know different sort of parts of New Zealand rugby so you know if things are going well then you know that works you know like if it's a pretty normal year there's no coronavirus COVID-19 you know there's no World Cup there's no Lions Tour etc then things go well for a couple of years but there's generally, you know, at least a year, if not two years of a four-year cycle where New Zealand rugby is a little bit tight for cash uh, in terms of the All Blacks, uh, and that pretty much affects, you know, the rest of, um, you know, the game in New Zealand rugby. So, you know, I like it. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see that, you know, that basically New Zealand rugby have a really nice, big, solid, consistent war chest, um, you know, uh, that they can basically, you know, treat their players well. Uh, and invest in all the different forms or all the different aspects um, that need to be invested in uh, for New Zealand rugby to, to remain strong, uh, which is obviously you know, the amateur game, uh, the age grade game or representative game, the Mitre 10 Cup, and you know, even you know, women's rugby and sevens. So yeah, going to leave it there. That's about 25 minutes or so. Uh, I hope you liked that one or enjoyed it. Um, a little bit of talking around uh, private equity in New Zealand rugby. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that's pretty topical, and I think you know, twenty twenty one is going to put a huge squeeze on New Zealand rugby after coming out of you know the coronavirus, the heavily hit you know twenty twenty coronavirus year. Um, you know, obviously they've taken, and then coming out of twenty nineteen as well, which was a World Cup year. So you know, I would say the New Zealand rugby finances probably took a, a little bit of a hit in twenty nineteen. Expected twenty twenty complete you know black swan out of the blue. Uh, and then 2021 with this Lions tour, it's again, it's it's going to take away um, you know opportunities from New Zealand rugby, um, or it already has, uh, regardless of if the tour goes on or not, or if the Lions tour is actually in the UK rather than South Africa. All of that doesn't matter. It essentially takes away teams that the All Blacks can play uh, or sell tickets to. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really. 2021 is really kind of like the third bad year in a row uh, for, you know, revenue uh, uh, 
from an All Blacks perspective or a New Zealand rugby, you know, All Blacks perspective. So I think you know the the interest or the, the you know the core. There's going to be a growing chorus um, uh, inside of, of New Zealand rugby and maybe even the rugby public, you know, to look at separate funding models. So yeah, I think it's pretty good to to explore it and, and try and work it out a little bit here uh, for myself and for the podcast. So yeah, uh, thanks for listening. If you did, I'm going to pretty much sign off there. I hope you're well. I hope things are good in your life. I hope you're doing good things, and I hope good things are happening for you. Um, Yeah, if you like what you listen to, um, can you please uh, go to Facebook if you use it, and can you key in search The Rugby Gods Podcast? If you do that, hopefully there's a... Uh, Facebook page that you can like uh, should be mine uh, and please you know feel free to send me a comment uh, or a private message whatever there that'd be awesome um, yeah uh, if you're listening to this on Spotify there should be a link I think uh, in the show notes or like in the basically on the web page there um, you know that will take you through to the Facebook page um, I'm also on Twitter and Reddit. Again, if you search the Rugby Gods podcast, I think you should be able to find me on Twitter and you should be able to find me on Reddit. Uh, those are kind of expansion, uh, you know, works in progress for me. Uh, so, you know, if you'd like to follow me uh, on Twitter, that'd be awesome. And if you'd like to uh, interact with me on Reddit, that'd be great too. But yeah, I don't use them too much. I'm trying to use them more. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah, and I guess, you know, thanks to Anchor FM, who I use as an app here uh, to get these podcasts out. It's a pretty good platform for doing podcasting. Um, yeah. So, thank you very much. Just going to peace out there. It's pretty much bang on 30 minutes. So, I hope things are well at the start of 2021 for you. So, yeah. Uh, ka kite noa. I'll see you again. Bye-bye for now.